up, y'all? Hope you guys are having an excellent day. Got an epic episode of the Ebb and Flow lined up for you guys. It's with my good friend Adam Von Rothfelder of Strong Coffee. Um, a guy I have the utmost love and respect for what he's built with his brand. Talk about his journey as an athlete, as a man, as an entrepreneur. It's a lot of nuggets of wisdom and truth in this episode. Really excited to share it with all of you. I know you're going to love it. This episode of The Pod is brought to you by our good friends at NewFit. NewFit, state-of-the-art recovery strength tool, healing injuries, building muscle strength, building muscular coordination. Um, It's really an incredible product. If you're someone who is a therapist, you run a clinic, this is definitely a unit you're going to want to add to your recovery protocols. Highly recommend it. Hit the link in the show notes for more information on that. Also, this episode is brought by our family at Quicksilver Scientific. Quicksilver Scientific, founded by my brother, Dr. Chris Shade. Highest quality adaptogens. Ginsengs. Tonics and tinctures elixirs that boost well-being, mental clarity and focus, blood flow, all the stuff that we need and want when we're living our best life. Quicksilver has got it for you. Also, link in the show notes for more information. Get yourself a good discount code there using Ebb and Flow. Um, And then finally, my brother Stephen Smith and Onda Wellness. Onda Wellness, a regenerative hemp company they make some fantastic tinctures sleep solid sleep adios anxiety contentment some of my favorite cbd products available on the market all sourced from regenerative hemp highly recommend get yourself a little discount use code ebb and flow lots of love guys today is the day this is your life make the most out of it Lots of love. I'll see y'all soon. Peace. You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source. The key of imagination. Your admission. Access to the enlightened dimension. A gateway at the junction of darkness and light. The place at which the chaos of our conditioned frame of mind Give way to a life in constant flux, only to be mastered through vigilant discipline. Peaceful times may come, testing times may go. This is the ebb and flow. All right, y'all, Adam. What's happening, my man? Welcome in, dude. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh, my God, bro. Thanks for being here. It's exciting to just sync it up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a minute since I've seen you last. Uh-huh. We go um, way too long in between our visits. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Maybe that'll... We'll do something about that at some point. 
Yeah. When we live closer together. Yeah, yeah. When you come to Texas finally. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it feels like it's calling. We're going to steal more you. More. We're drafting you. Every time I go, man, every time I'm in Austin or in that area, Hill Country in particular, I just feel like, fuck, that feels good. It feels good in my body to be there. Dude, there's no road noise. Yeah. You know, and if it is, it's like a hardworking American driving their truck by. Yeah. So it's like, how can you get mad at that? Yeah. Probably delivering your groceries, you know? Exactly. Uh, exactly. It's, <laughs> and it's just like rivers and yeah, yeah it's just community. That, yeah, the people are great. It's just a mm-hmm. very, it's a very special place. And uh, I feel very good every time I'm there, um, especially since we get to hang out. But, dude, I mean, for people who don't know, Adam is, first of all, he's an amazing human being. Great man. Yes. And you've done a lot in your life. You've had, are you writing a book yet? Or, like, where's that at, dude? (laughs) Where's the book at? But let me finish. Adam is the founder slash CEO I mean, you're the sure. lead man. You're the top dog at one of my favorite companies on the planet, Strong Coffee. I mean, I got it in my cup right here. Got a blue latte. There we go. Cacao latte. Daybreaker. Oh, yeah, yeah the Daybreaker. Um, really, truly one of my favorite companies on the planet. Um, and you're just one of my favorite dudes. Like, your family, anything I can do to support you and and collaborate with you. I'm always excited to do that. And, uh, so I'm just excited to get you on here, man. And I know that you've got one hell of a story to tell. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I would love to just maybe start at the beginning because I know everything. Every time I talk to you, it's really interesting. Every time I talk to you, it, and maybe this is how it is with everybody. Perhaps, and this is an obvious thing, but every time I talk to you, it's like your life, you, everything you've been through in your life and you've really been perfectly placed to get yourself to where you are today. Just as far as everything you've been involved in, how you've looked at your life, what you've done with it, being a student of physiology your body i mean we've worked out together you're one of the fucking you're a world-class trainer strength coach truly and i've been around some of the best i've been around some of the best dude yeah and it's the intricacies of what you how specific you are about how to do a movement you know your shoulder placement on this you know where your foot's going here and that's that transcends through everything you do, you know, and your company is a reflection of that. So I think that it would be great to just start out. Where'd you drop in, dude? Where'd you come from? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I mean, I think like uh, where I really dropped in was like right around the age of, you know, 12, 13 mm. years old. I I grew up in a family that, you know, from the outside, looking in i mean we literally had a white picket fence Mm. you know but things were not as they seemed you know Mm. i had a brother who had early um stage addictions Mm. uh you know i had a sister with uh you know an eating disorder 
right? Um, a dad with an anger problem, you know, a mom with uh, passive aggressive, you know, tendencies. Uh-huh. There was like all these things that were kind of like cooking behind the scenes. And I was extremely uh, strong headed since like day one. I was the baby of the family. I was the baby of four. Mm. And I was always around interesting situations like foreign exchange students mm. living in our house. Oh, interesting. Right? Uh, foster kids coming and staying with us for, uh, you know, a couple of weeks. Like, while well, my mom is like taking care of like a random baby <laughs> that literally like got dropped off at our doorstep. Wow. You know, and my mom like took her in from the state for, you know, a couple months and until she got, you know, adopted. I mean, there's, there's been some really interesting things that kind of happened around that time. And when I was, when I was 12 or 13, my family adopted, uh, you know, for, for keeps, you know, like not a foster situation, but adopted, uh, my little brother, Donye. And, uh, that instantly shifted the dynamic for not only what I knew life was like, because like I grew up, like I never really been around anybody that's like in a wheelchair that has these kind of like needs, like any problems that I've had seem far less problematic mm. after comparing it to like what this little two-year-old was going through, mm. right? So at 12, I like recognized that. I was also forced in many ways to acknowledge that reality, which was to like learn the cares of him you know, take responsibility for him. Like, you know, as he got older, my, my parents couldn't carry him up a flight of stairs before my family like built like a ADA house, but Mm. you know, uh, they couldn't carry him up the stairs. So, you know, like when I was a senior, I missed, you know, like our senior awards, which I was like given like most improved athlete. It was like my first year of track won like a, you know, and I wasn't even there Uh at the awards ceremony because I'm like, putting my little brother to bed as like an 18, as a 17 year old. Wow. You know, and these are the things that like I had to learn how to, you know, give up and in service of others, Mm. which, you know, really is kind of like a, a big part of my story, you know, but at a young age, I learned a lot about fitness, uh, because the family dynamic changed. I was, you know, now around other people as well, not just my little brother, but, nurses coming into our house and one nurse owned a carpet cleaning service. So he's an entrepreneur, he's a nurse and he was into bodybuilding. Mm. And then there's another nurse who's also a fireman, which I was like fascinated about being a fireman. And he was a former Marine and Mm. was like, you know, into working out. And they both around the same time, like dropped off like a series of magazines to me and I picked them up and I just never stopped reading since. Uh huh. And I, that was like my early stage of information at 12 years old, reading cover to cover Iron Man uh-huh. magazine, which was like back then they had these great, you know, um, like mini books in the yeah. back of those magazines and like position of flexion and all these like really interesting theories around developing more muscle or increasing more power that weren't like in the book, but you had to like, I mean, weren't in the magazine, but you had to buy this book to like, really read about it. So I'd buy these books, you know, uh-huh. I'd spend the 12, 20 bucks, like whatever to continue my education. And that, you know, just kind of like 
started a like a lifelong journey of wanting to find a way to not only improve and better myself like physically, but like taking a very scientific and very cerebral approach to everything mm. because I wasn't naturally gifted. Mm. I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't going to be tall, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to be overly big, you yeah. know, and there were just like certain things. And I wanted to, you know, if I wanted to do something, it's like, I'll, I figured out the smartest way to do it. And, uh, you know, if it was like learning how to jump higher, it was like, I was the guy who had the virtues, uh -huh. you know, I was yeah, the guy yeah. doing all those things to like follow that program to do this. And then it's like, okay, well, did it work or not work? And, you know, figure out if I would ever recommend it to somebody. Yeah. So, so that's kind of like where my the virtues, the virtues, bro. <laughs> they were fucking hilarious. I think Gus had they those. were so heavy. Yeah. You know, but I mean, I, I mean, at one time my vertical was over 36 inches. Uh -huh. That's fucking good, man. You know? So yeah. it's like, I, you know, I, I, you know, I figured it out, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, that's where a lot of my, like, training and you know the, the tendencies of you know where when i was done training you know when i got done you know doing this incredible life of like i wanted to become a world-class trainer at a young age mm. like that's like something i said like at 12 13 Interesting, I, dude. I said i was gonna be on the cover of a, a health magazine and then i would be on a show one day you know as like a top trainer right uh-huh and that happened you did that I, I was on an NBC show. Yeah. I was not only on the show. I was the face of the show. I mean, mm. I was on the billboards everywhere. Yeah. Right. I, you know, got on the magazine covers. Mm. You know, I, I got these things. I got to train YG, the rapper, Ray Lewis, Joakim Noah. Like I got crazy. to train crazy fucking people. The founder of many billion dollar businesses. Mm. And that's where life really changed for me was. You know, going from training, you know, people who own small businesses or work for other people, you know, like, uh -huh. right, to people who own big fucking businesses right. and who do big things. And it was yeah. like all of a sudden that like idea of that you are the sum of the six people that you spend the most time with mm. became super true uh -huh. when my clientele is all Malibu homes. I'm hanging out at Sun Life. And I'm, you know, thinking about how do I break through this glass ceiling that I didn't even know existed only six months ago, making $50 an hour as a trainer in, in the Midwest to making 200 an hour as right. a trainer out here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Having a full clientele and being like, wait, this is all the money I can make. And I'm like, but I'm burning all my fucking time up. I don't mm. get to see my wife, my kids. I'm driving four and a half hours a day mm. to do all these in-home sessions. And that's the LA life, dude. I mean, caught in the race. Right. Uh huh. But like, I knew that when I came home, man, how happy my wife, my kids were like, mm. they're hanging out at the pool. You know, it's like there, yeah. there was like that certain level of satisfaction and validation I felt from all the hard work, but I wanted something that would be there when I was gone. Right. Like something bigger. And I had this daily habit, right. Making this drink, Right. And I mean, it truly was a daily habit for over 
I started drinking coffee, protein, and basically what you see as strong coffees, lattes today at around the age of 26, four years into my fighting career when I decided to drop in weight classes. Interesting. And I started applying more intermittent fasting principles, mm. but I didn't want to train fully empty stomached. Uh-huh. And I needed coffee or some kind of energy because I was just putting out so much energy yeah. that I just needed to pick me up to make it to practice, you know, first thing in the morning before going about my life and working a full-time job. And yes, so it, it, when I had this opportunity and I, you know, was, you know, a, you know, basically I had a client that tried a sample and it was our first time ever meeting him. So you made what, him one of your drinks just well, dude, the drink like, you had been making. Yeah. And I mean, like, look, like I do believe that if I gave that first sample to any one of my other clients that had the money and that liked investing, they wouldn't have invested. Mm. Right. Because they saw me as their trainer. Uh-huh. This guy, I had never trained yet. Uh. I was meeting him for the first time. Interesting. And the first thing we do before we even work out is I save his morning with a cup of coffee that is instant and tastes amazing and makes him feel like he's a fucking shark with lasers on its head. You know, just like... <laughs> yeah. Right? Like yeah. taking out everything. Uh-huh. And we got done with our training session. And he called me like an hour later and he's like, yo, dude, like this stuff's amazing. I gave my wife the other sample that was in the container. How do we get more of it? I'm like, there is no more. He's like, how do we make more? I'm like, well, unless you want to invest in a company, I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't have any more money to put into sample samples. This is like my, Mm. this is my eighth run, you know, of samples that I've made and they cost money every time I'm making these test samples for research and development. So he's like, well, he's like, I think it tastes a fucking, I think it tastes fucking amazing. He's like, let's put it in a bag. Let's do it. You know? Wow, dude. And I put together a business plan. Financials got on. How long ago was this? This was five and a half years ago that I made those steps. Uh huh. So like, I'm a trainer who built a successful gym. Right. Mm. So I was good at building a brand and a community uh-huh. on a local scale with some social media growth. Right. Uh-huh. Like I had that in my, in my, in my, you know, wheelhouse. Right. What I didn't have is logistics, fundraising, financials, procurement, manufacturing, uh-huh. like, like all these other things that are super important. And I fucking learned them. Mm. Right. I hopped on Google. I sat there and watched YouTube videos. I took courses. I did whatever I could while I was literally waiting for the product, you know, to, you know, find the right solution of like how to make it, you know, get it made, you know, and then get it, you know, I mean, get it, get it funded and then get it made. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just kind of a, it was a perfect storm. And, you know, he's been an incredible uh, guys still involved investor. Yeah. Like we still talk daily uh, or weekly. I mean, uh, we still call it talk weekly and you know, he moves around a lot. So his time zones change, but like he's got a great family. He loves my family. Like he respects what I'm doing. Uh, I think like if there's one thing like any of my investors, you know, can say is that 
they've never invested in somebody that's like worked as hard as I work. Mm. Right. And that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm smart, like in certain areas, but really I work hard mm-hmm. as well. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely witnessed that, man. So that was the drop in to the, you know, the very express version of, you know, the training and, you know, some things I sprinkled in between there. I modeled for Versace. I know, dude. <laughs> what is that's a fucking trip in itself. Yeah, I know this mug on Versace. Jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that was wild. You're a pro fighter, pro fighter. So what was it when? When did you make that move? You grew up in Milwaukee or outside Milwaukee? I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh huh. And when did that, like, when did it start to percolate of coming to L.A. or moving out west? Or what was that, like, what was happening in your life that sort of brought you? Yeah, man. Uh, I think the heat got turned on when I was 22. And mm. that's when my brother died. Oh. You know, I mean, when my brother died of a, of a drug overdose, I mean, he he died in my bedroom. <sighs> He died after I didn't call him back. Mm. There were a lot of things that happened. Uh, that very day, I heard an ad on a radio for a fight mm. at Hal's Harley Davidson in Waukesha. You could go sign up. And in like two and a half weeks, the tough man competition, the shit you saw on ESPN with like mm. the yeah. guys beating the shit out of each other with the yellow gloves was yeah. going to be in town. Wow. And they were looking for the toughest people in the Midwest. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm the toughest, but I'm pretty fucking tough. Uh-huh. And I'm pretty fucking angry. Um, right. And yeah. I went and signed up that day. Wow. Dude. And two weeks later, I fought my first fight. I hadn't fought anybody except for my dad a wow. couple of times in my life up to that point, And a kid in fifth grade that, you know, said I had big ears. Oh you know, my God, dude. And it, so had you been training at all fighting? No, man, guys? I just got done playing college soccer. So uh-huh. I was in really good shape and I did martial arts. I mean, okay. there, I was, I was no, I knew martial arts, uh-huh. you know, I, I had trained with Duke Rufus at one point in my life okay. when I was like 16. Uh-huh. Uh, I would kick so hard as a 16 year old, they'd have an adult hold pads for me. Wow. You know, and it was just like, I mean, but I was like a lifelong soccer player. Yeah. And I understood like transverse movement. My hips just move differently from most fighters. And that's kind of what, why I accelerated very quickly as a fighter is I had very interesting hip movement Mm. and like foot speed and hand-eye coordination that, you know, like doesn't come from just like doing martial arts, right? you know, playing a bunch of different sports, not really being like great at any of them. But, like, that's what mixed martial arts is. Uh-huh. It's like a melting pot of a bunch of shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Creativity even comes in handy totally. as a fighter. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, punching a different way uh-huh. because these other punches aren't working. And if you just punch differently, like, the whole matrix shifts. Mm. People are like, what the fuck was that? Right, You'll right. You'll hit them with, with it at least once. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Was fighting sort of the thing that, No, I feel like we, there, perhaps there are a handful of moments where 
we really start to find ourselves. And a lot of times it's like through tragedy, difficulty, hitting rock bottom, stepping into some new purpose or path, just throwing yourself into the unknown, that type of thing. Would you say that was where you started to really figure out or at least tune into something that felt like destiny, for lack of a better word, or felt like you were going somewhere? You know, my life started to feel like a movie in a way, right? Where it Mm. did feel like it was destiny. Yeah. And it felt like it was too scripted. Like, this is too Hollywood in a way. Like, this is all happening in a manner that is setting itself up for me to be the hero of this crazy fucking story. Uh-huh. Right? And when my brother died and I fought, there was a guy who came up, that came up to me the second day because it was a tournament. And he's like, I saw you the day before. He's like, You're, you know, you got talent. He's like, super fast hands. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you got something to wrap your hands? And I was like, no. You know, and I didn't because I was the only guy there without a fucking coach. Mm-hmm. I was the only guy that wasn't You just active. showed up. Yeah, I wasn't a fighter. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been fighting my whole life, but I wasn't a fighter. Yeah. Right? So yeah. when when he offered to wrap my hands, he like, we talked a little bit and, and uh, you know, it was interesting, like, I, I felt like I was like meeting like Mr. Miyagi, mm, mm-hmm. you know, and his name was Horace, Horace Kraft, Horace, the real deal Kraft. Mm. And at one point in like the eighties, I mean, he was like the shit in kickboxing. Like wow. he was like a legend. Mm. And now he was just a retired older cop who still fought, but you know, he was going through a lot himself. His mm-hmm. wife was dying of cancer mm. and he took me in under his wing after that after that tournament, which I, I lost the tournament, mm. you know, the guy I lost to was 11 and one as an MMA fighter. Wow. I had never fought like this next year. <clears throat> I came back and I kicked that MMA's fight, that MMA fighter's ass mm. in the first round mm. and knocked him out. Wow, dude. And Horace was my corner and I was then, you know, I won that tournament. So I won the tournament the year later that like I set out to, you know, I don't know if I set out to win as I more set out to, I don't know, like feel something to like Uh really like engage with life in a Mm. way that you say that you're going to when you're younger. You're like, dude, I'm going to do this when I'm older. Uh I'm going to do this when I'm older. Yeah. Then you don't do shit. Right. You just end up being staying in the same place, doing yeah. the same shit that all your friends that you grew up with are fucking doing right now. Yeah. And you didn't actually live that dream that like that 12 year old said, and yeah. dude, I wanted to be a WWF wrestler. <laughs> I wanted to be a professional stuntman. I had an idea of like whatever I wanted to do. I wanted to put my body on the line doing it because uh-huh. I was physically attached and mentally attached. Of course, I'm physically attached, but I was mentally attached to the physiology uh-huh. that I worked so hard on and what I was capable of doing. Yeah, it so really I'm like, resonates with me. So I'm like, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. So I did it. Mm. 
and this guy just happened to be there. And then, then I got introduced to this guy, Tom, Tom was this like random goofy dude, Tom Mueller, you know, this random goofy dude who stack, you know, stocks chips for, you know, a a chip company like Frito-Lay, like in a regional area. (laughs) He is one of the most dangerous men on a mat in the world. Wow. Like prove that when he won, you know, Pan Am games and multiple others. Wow. And he had this place called Tom's, Tom's Open Mat, T-O-M. His name was Tom, Tom's Open Mat, right? An acronym and a name within itself. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we all had keys. We all paid a certain amount of money. Mm. And we just showed up a couple of like vagabonds mm. and just beat the shit out of each other. Oh. And I was everybody's just choking arm bar leg locking dummy <laughs> for like the first fucking couple of like, you know, months. months. And uh-huh. then they were like, dude, you should do you should do this Naga tournament coming up. Mm. What's Naga? North American Grappling Association. Oh, okay, grappling. Okay. And I'm like How okay. would you sir Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Quick, no, please. Quick side. How would you differentiate grappling from say jujitsu or another or wrestling? So it's kind of like a crocodile and alligator, right? So it's like all, oh, okay. all things are grappling, but not all things are jujitsu. Okay. Right? Like jujitsu gotcha. is grappling. Judo is a form of grappling. Uh-huh. Right? So that's why it's called North, North America Grappling Association. What you'll see in differences are like freestyle wrestlers who go for like takedowns and transitions uh-huh. because they don't know submissions in like a situation like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Or like a catch wrestler who is does different types of submissions that are kind of like Americanized versions of ninjutsu and jujitsu and different okay. sorts sorts yeah. of Asian style grappling uh-huh. that was also like transitioned through freestyle wrestling use, mm. kind of like the way we stood and uh-huh. like we're like more aggressive. Yeah. So it's less of a finesse thing, catch wrestling. It's like what Ken Shamrock did. Okay. Very just super aggressive, yeah. hard, fast. Yeah. Doesn't give a fuck about the finesse aspect because there's no gi involved. Yeah. Right? And the okay. gi allows for a lot of finesse. Uh-huh. Right? Like really good athletes, when they do jujitsu in a gi, become not really good athletes. Yeah. Because the gi slows them down. Right. And like speed is like somebody for me a, a huge factor. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that's why I accelerated in MMA. And, yeah. And Naga. So I, I do this Naga thing, and I do really well. I take second in you know the Midwest. It's like a eleven state invitational. I'd only been doing jujitsu a couple of months, <laughs> and yeah, it's nuts, dude. Well, and I'm I'm beating like purple belts and brown belts on a regular basis, and. I had just a really interesting style of scrambling. Mm. And if I didn't get you in like a, a rear naked or a darce, I wasn't going to get you. Cause I wasn't overly technical. Uh-huh. I just had these two moves that somehow like clicked in my brain really well. Yeah. And everything else like really didn't. Uh huh. Um, but like my, my ability to scramble like speed, strength, awareness of where I am on the ground and where they are. I always seemed a lot higher. And I think that was a lot to do with gymnastics because uh-huh. like your proprioception of like spinning and flipping uh-huh. really comes in handy when you're 
blindfolded upside down and like trying to rotate around somebody's leg as quickly as possible. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, I know where I am in space just a little bit better than these people, even though they know jujitsu a lot better than, than I do. Right. So it makes a lot of sense, man. Yeah. It's like bringing in your, your life of being an athlete at a very high level working. Like you said, like in these disciplines that gymnastics or soccer or, where there's a lot of proprioception, there's a lot of balance, there's a lot of like unorthodox, you find yourself in a lot of strange positions. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so to bring your athleticism into that world where it's almost not necessarily predicted, but you're in a system, you're working in a system. And so you're coming into that totally free of any system, very unorthodox allowing your athleticism and then what you're learning as you go to just beat your opponents. Yeah. When I had, I had interesting, like, uh, like proportionally, I was told this by when I got into the modeling world by like some high level fashion person, he was like, your shins are very short. Interesting. You know, comparative to your, your, Uh my, my my femur length. Right. Uh Well, like for takedowns, that's fucking amazing. Right. You, my knee with my ankle mobility, my knee is touching the ground super fast. Yeah, that's really so. I'm able to like drive when I have really long arms. Uh-huh. I'm only five eleven, but my arm reach is like six five. You know, mm-hmm. and some change. Yeah. So it's like I can punch you from across the room, right? You know, yeah, and you yeah. don't think I can uh-huh. because you're two three inches taller than me, and you're not. Yeah. In, and you're not in your range. Mm-hmm. So why would I be in my range? You know, and I used to surprise people like that all the time. Just bop, quick little jab. That, what the fuck was that? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I I had a time that I was sparring with one of like my early mentors, Emmanuel Emmanuel Newton, and he was at the time like the Canadian champ at like I forget Canadian Fight League CFL, and uh, he got so mad because I hit him with these like couple of jabs that he just didn't even see. Uh-huh. And he was like, what the fuck? You know, and he was just, uh-huh. he got so mad that he like dropped his hands and walked off for just a second to cool off. Cause it was just like, imagine that's frustrating. Well, cause like I had only been doing this for a couple of years mm-hmm. and he had been doing this for a long time. Yeah. You know, and he, it's all he does full time. I was still like holding a job when I, when I first met him, got laid off as an electrician. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, I'm going to try this fighting thing full time. dude. So I'm like, I'm going to try this fighting thing full time. Like uh-huh. right now I've been fighting professionally while being a full-time electrician for the last five years. It's crazy, dude. I got laid off in 2008 with the, you know, the recession, the whole thing blew up, whole thing blew up. <laughs> All of a sudden Obama's like, everybody gets like an extra year on unemployment. I'm like, boom, uh-huh. unemployment train as a pro fighter, like go all in. Like this is the time. Like wow. the government sponsoring you. <laughs> <laughs> G-O-V on my ass. Um, no, uh, we all probably paid that money back somehow. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, man. Wow, dude. Yeah. So in there, why? I mean, it feels like there's no reason why you couldn't have rode the fight train all the way home. I mean, it could have been your thing. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. I mean, I... I definitely, when I moved to LA, even though it was, well, I mean, before I moved to LA, I was being, you know, like kind of 
courted, groomed in a way to like bring into like strike force. Mm. And I was on this tournament and I was winning this tournament to like get a strike force contract. Okay. Strike force, you know, basically I get a call by Scott at the time and the guy that's the owner of it. And he's like, you're in, you know, we go through the, we're going through a process and two weeks later, the UFC buys like the strike force by strike force. Mm. Yeah. I thought something like that happened and everything just like disappears Interesting, you know, and the strike like, force doesn't. It's no, not around. Yeah, anymore, yeah, yeah. Right? They only kept yeah. like five fighters, you know, uh-huh. ten fighters, like whatever it was. Yeah, it's just like it was. You know, I don't want to say that they were like lower. It was a lower level league of fighters because like everybody is right, right. You know, but it just wasn't like they weren't at the caliber of yeah. of like UFC fighters, so they weren't gonna. You know, a lot of them weeded themselves out when they got into the UFC. They got sure. their asses kicked. You know, and yeah. I got hurt really bad. I separated my shoulder. Oh, well, that'll... I got hurt real bad. and it, it, it Bad injuries will take <laughs> you out of competitive sports pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, and really it, it was... It took me out of competitive sports in the sense that mentally it took me out of... Like, mentally it took me out of the game in a way uh-huh. that a lot of what I was doing in the ring was therapeutic. Of course. And... yeah. When that injury happened, I had this massive release Mm. and really feeling, you know, and it was like for the first time in my life, I wanted to like stop fighting and start feeling what was going on. Wow. Right. And, you know, like stop hurting individuals, start healing myself. Right. Mm. And I recognized like what I had done to myself, even on a physical level, like between the way my shoulder felt, the way like my wrist felt or my, my, you know, hip felt or, you know, different things from just like kicking as hard as you fucking can wrestling as hard as you can every fucking day going as hard as you can with no remorse, you know, no idea of the repercussions of what your body is like going through because your brain is the one driving the train, you know? And it's like, you don't listen to shit because you're young, smoke a little weed, Eat some food, take a nap. You'll be fine. (laughs) You know, it's like whatever. That was in percent, dude. Oh, my God. Wow, that's such a great, that's such a great insight. Plus, I didn't like the people I was around. Uh Uh-huh. Especially after I, like, kind of woke up. It wasn't your, it wasn't your tribe. It wasn't who you were, who you vibed with. And I'm fucked up, right? Like, I've had, right? Like, I've had plenty of things that have gone on in my life that, like, fucked me up at that time. So, I was around a lot of people who are also equally fucked up. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because when you really think about it, you know, fighting requires a certain level of mentality. Yeah, dude. Right. To go through that kind of shit where it's like more than likely that person is dealing with things. If that's the sport they chose. Oh yeah. You know, oh, especially yeah. fighters in like the 90s and like the early 2000s, like they were hyper aggressive, you know, uh-huh. just kind of like hooli- yeah. straight up fucking hooligans. Yeah. I'd hang out with some of these dudes and go to a bar and they'd like start bar fights and have a mouthpiece in. <laughs> yeah, man. There's this one dude that I trained with in Long Beach. He put a mouthpiece in his mouth and he f- he's like, who wants to fucking get on ESPN? And he like puts a mouthpiece and he just fucking punches a dude. 
It's insane. Bro. Yeah, he like hands a guy a camera phone, and you know, it's like totally early insane, camera stuff, phone stages. Yeah, fucking idiots. I've always said that about football too, man. Especially the guys who are playing in the NFL. Like you've got screws loose, man. You've yeah, got a yeah, lot yeah. Of damage and fighting too. Combat sports. Any combat sports where you're making it your life. You're making your life about this sport that's literally about beating the shit out of people and taking a beating and figuring out how to do that the best way possible. Yeah. You've got a lot of demons, a lot of injuries. There's a lot of wounds going on inside. Yeah, I, I would... Because a sane person just doesn't do that. I, you know? I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a championship-level fighter that didn't come from a traumatic or oppressed... Yeah, yeah childhood of yeah. some manner yeah sure you may be a mid-level or whatever uh-huh but champion you will not be uh-huh you know you just no i agree you just didn't get your ass kicked enough or yeah. get not picked up from school enough or abandoned abused. enough or not fed enough yeah. or abused yeah. enough to like go through the abuse it takes to like in that combative sport to like go that extra distance. A thousand percent. Dude. Getting up after some of those hits, you got to be angry at the world. Oh yeah. It ain't a paycheck. That's getting you up after that. No, no. <laughs> My first, our, our head coach. At least coach, I assume because that's the deal for me. I agree. Okay. Cool. I know I'm sure. the same. We're the only ones here. So and, that's all that matters. And I think that's important. <laughs> you know, I think that's important because I do the same thing. I make these sort of general comments about, the type of person it takes to do a certain thing. And then I come back to, you know, at least this has been my experience, you know, Jack Del Rio, my first head coach in the NFL, he said, man, if you're just here to get a paycheck, it's going to be a fucking long road, bro. Yeah. It's going to be a long road. You know, if you're here just to collect the money and make the money, dude, it's, you're not going to last long. It's got to be about something more than that. And for me, it was about, getting the rage that was inside of my body out into the world. And I did in it in the a way safest manner possible. Yeah. <laughs> and to, and taking another step, I was celebrated for how violent of a player I could be, you yeah. know? Um, and dude, what a, what a powerful thing. Your injury just gave you this pause to go, man, I'm tired of fucking trying to hurt people. I'm really just like, what about taking care of myself? Yeah. Because I would say I had the, I had a very similar thing. I don't, I won't, I can't say that I was conscious of it initially because for me, the first big injury I had was ruptured, ruptured my disc, L5S1, excruciating sciatic nerve pain. I was playing through that when I dislocated my shoulder twice and then had to have shoulder surgery. Um, but I was still in that warrior mentality, like this is who I am. I'll fucking die on the field before I'm done playing, you know. But my last year in Chicago, I had just it was like the back, the shoulder, torn muscles all over, epidurals in the back. Then eventually, like all of it sort of culminated in my last year in Chicago during the bye week, my fucking appendix ruptured. And I was here getting my jersey retired at my high school. Whole family's there. I'm doubled over in pain after the ceremony. And uh, the day we're supposed to leave, 
go to the emergency room. They do a CAT scan or, you know, a quick, it wasn't an MRI. I think it was a CAT scan. You're like, oh yeah, you need to have an emergency appendectomy right here, right now. We went in, did the surgery and, uh, was in the hospital for a week, came back and they gave me about a month. They're like, Ed, you know, don't worry about playing. Just get your weight back up. I still had to have blood tests done like every few days to make sure all the toxic shit was out of my system. And finally I came back, was practicing again. There was probably a month left of the season. So four games and I was sitting there in the film room just thinking, what am I doing here? Like I'm in pain from the top of my head to my big toes, dude. Like I'm killing myself out here. And I was watching myself on film and I thought to myself, I used to want to kill that guy that I'm going up against and I have none of that left. Like I, I love that guy, you know, like that. He worked so friend. hard to be here. Yeah. Like <laughs> I used to go out onto the field just wanting blood, man. And I was like, I have none of that left. And here I am. I've been thinking this is glorious. You know, this coach back here, God bless him. He doesn't give a shit, dude. If I walked out of here today, he'd plug in some new, some young gun, some rookie into my spot, you know? And I just thought there's a thousand places I'd rather be than right here doing this. And I knew I was done. So that was my last year. And, you know, slowly but surely realized that it was going to be a long road to getting back, putting myself back together, you know? Yeah. 100%. I mean, I, when I, when I hurt my shoulder, that wasn't, it was like, it was actually, I mean, it was like my first significant injury Uh that I had ever really had. Yeah. I was super fortunate to kind of like not ever get hurt Mm -hmm. physically uh, throughout fighting. And I knew I was done like that day, but I was still wanting to be around Mm -hmm. that thing because I still... I identified with it. Yeah. So it took me a couple of months to fully let go Mm. of training. I actually moved to California and I went and trained in Long Beach um, Mm. and they were trying to get me a fight and I almost did it. And I just like, that's actually when I hit full breaks. I just never showed up again. Wow. And it was just like, cause it was like, maybe I can just train and not fight. Uh huh. And uh-huh. it was like, nope, like anybody you're around that sees the way you move and fight and like trains you there, that's like going to always be the pressure. Uh-huh. So I just had to like really step away or I, I knew that I'd like found my, find myself doing that thing again, you know, and uh-huh. like, and I knew that that thing wasn't right for me anymore. Yeah. Right. So I really wanted to be able to step away. And that was really, you know. When I left being an electrician, that was like a burn the boat situation. Yeah. MMA was burn the boat situation. Leave it, you know, like it's always been that for me where it's like all the way the fuck out or all the way the fuck in, you know, it's, it's one or the other. And, yeah. uh, and I went all the way out. Which Do was, you remember what that day was like? Like, were you, 
you know, was it an on the fence thing? You're like, oh, am I going to go to the gym? And then you just didn't. Or was it like you made the, de- the conscious decision? If I go back there, this is never going to end. I replaced it with like similar activity of sorts. So I woke up and started running instead mm. of going, because like we had to run every practice. We ran two miles uh-huh. for, to start practice. The conditioning and warm up. Yep. Uh-huh. And so I went and ran two miles and then went to the gym. Uh-huh. And I just kind of kept my routine without training. And I just cut out a large portion of food, mm. you know, not at first, which then I like put on like 20 pounds in uh-huh. a matter of like three <laughs> fucking weeks because I wasn't uh-huh. training wrestling and, you know, Muay Thai like four to five hours a day anymore. Yeah. So, uh, it was, it was pretty wild. Everybody's like, damn dude, you're getting huge. You know, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Um, were you modeling yet and doing, So I, I was, I was getting calls for more TV movies at the time. And then I got this gig with, um, this ab machine. And I did this commercial where I was an MMA fighter who uses the ab machine. Uh-huh. And I got some of my friends to come in as like, extras and got them paid and stuff which was cool uh-huh. and uh and filmed that commercial and then um after that i you know basically flew home i mean or drove home i i was living out there i was living out there uh you know by myself i was you know just kind of like figuring shit out mm-hmm. i was no longer fighting and I got this commercial. I had all these other opportunities and yeah, no, it's okay. I had all these other opportunities and I was, you know, got this text message from my sister, uh, about my dad having some irregular blood results that looked like he had cancer. So I got this message while I was on set filming this commercial and dude and i mean like bro i'm i'm glad my the way my life changed the way my life turned out the way it did i wouldn't change a thing i'm pretty sure if i would have stayed in la at that time i definitely would have been in films Mm. right like the amount of auditions i was getting you know and when i moved back to so i moved back to milwaukee i got a job when was this so this is 2000 wait it was 12 years ago. Okay. 12 and a half years ago. And then you came back here. So, yes. So then I came back okay, here at some so you point. Move, so you get the call. I moved back. Move literally back. finished the commercial. Moved back. And get a job. Meet my wife. Get married within like seven months. Wow, dude. Really? Yeah, bro. I mean, you guys are just total soulmates, huh? Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's amazing, dude. Uh, I didn't know that it was that quick for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had our troubles, uh, but you course, know, like yeah. that's what happens when you're together for 12 years and you're young and you got a lot going on in your life and mm-hmm. you know, things change, but we're, you know, fucking teammates through and through. And yeah, I love that about you guys. So see that and feel it. Uh, I mean, I can't go like, I, I got to call her at least a couple times a day throughout mm-hmm. my day, you know, like. Check connect in. check uh-huh. in yeah you know if she's driving somewhere i want to know that she gets there safe you know it's yeah. like those are things that i feel for her i feel for my kids and 
Mm. You know, so we got married. You know, and so you guys I mean, met we, in we, Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I, yeah, I mean, I moved back. You know, and started like getting some like modeling gigs after this like random cousin. You know, second cousin reaches out to me. He's like, "Hey, are you related to these people?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's my aunt and uncle." He's like, "That's crazy." He's like, "You look a lot like me." He sends me a photo. He's just like three, four inches taller than me, but he like introduces me to a bunch of agents. An agent picks me up, gets me to New York, and yeah, crazy dude. Yeah, so that was like that was you know the kind of like that was like after I got back from L.A. I'm in Milwaukee. You know, and and doing these, I'm flying back and forth to New York. I mean, at one time I got flown out to shoot with Rihanna for this like massive campaign, and it's crazy bro. that fell through because the photographer wanted to to try his hand at Slug me. Love your knob. Yeah, and he uh, and that was not. There was no uh, there was no uh, quid pro quo going over here. Those quick ass meetings, if that was like the fucking direction somebody was going to try to take with me ever again. Tell you what, that was the end of my modeling career for wow. year, for years. Wow, dude. That was the end. Must have went through the uh, old uh, predatorial uh, walkie-talkie system that they had that mm. hiring Adam Von Rothfelder wasn't going to get your dick wet. Wow. And all of a sudden, like, dude, I was hot, bro. I was hot, dude. I was shooting with Harper's Harper's Bazaar. Uh-huh. I walked Mark Jacobs. I walked different like runway shows. I was out shooting this person that you know this, this hot person. like, like moving, like going like, up, going up. Yeah, 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 becoming yeah. Becoming the guy. Yeah, I'm not calling myself hot. No, you know, no, like, no. I, I thought maybe you meant piss. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. So I'm, yeah, shit, yeah, my yeah. shit's moving. You, you were, know, like you were sought after. I was getting so many people reaching uh-huh. out. It was crazy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it all died after that. That's crazy, dude. And two years later, I get a random call. I get a call from my agent who, you know, he tried to get me like other things in between that time and that time. But like things just weren't moving for me. Uh-huh. And uh, it's like, hey, uh, Versace wants you. Mm. And I'm like. Like Versace, Versace. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, Versace, Versace. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, uh-huh. so he's like, it's two days, you know, $1,800 a day. So I'm like, amazing. So I get out there and it's like an all-star cast. Mm. Like the who's who of male models. Uh-huh. Gigi Hadid is right. like the female lead. Mm. And it's like a West Side story being like retold. So it's like. The guys in the leather jackets and the guys in the suits and like uh-huh. us battling and and they're like talking they're like who wants to get punched in the face and I'm like I'll do it <laughs> you know I didn't know like what the you know because nobody was like I'll do it yeah. you know the guy kind of sat there and he's like come on guys who yeah. wants to get punched in the face and I was like oh, I'll do it you know like uh-huh. I did like I said it like right away you know I'm like yeah. as he was like looking at us like uh-huh. that and uh, he's like cool you'll be with Gigi Hadid then. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. So I'm like, okay. So they call my agent after the first day, and they're like, hey, can we actually keep him for six days? Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, shit. My agent calls me. He's like, do you want to stay for six days? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, do you think you can get more money for me? He's yeah. like, well, he's like, for six days? He's like, of course. I'm like, no, per day. Uh-huh. I was like, ask him for two grand. Tell him I got, yeah. kid. tell him I got kids. Yeah. You know? Fuck he's like, yeah. So he called him up, and he's like, 
two grand a day if you want him for those extra days. He's got kids. And they're like, yeah. Done. So not only did I get two grand a day for those six days, um, I got a, I was hanging out with Donatella and that's nuts, dude. I like pull a, she's in the back, like looking at some clothing and they're just going through like different, like checks on clothing as they're like putting stuff on us. And I was looking at this suit and I was like, wow, this is beautiful. It has mm. this like incredible blue, like patterns that go through the suit in all uh-huh. different directions, like one of a kind type shit. Yeah. You know, $8,000 suit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this was sure. $8,000 suit six years ago. Uh-huh. It's probably like a 12, 12, 13, 12 14. to $15,000 yeah. suit today. Yeah. She was like, put the jacket on. <laughs> so I put it on. She's like, it fits you perfect. Uh-huh. She's like, you take that. Wow. She gives me this suit. She's like, thank you so much. She's like, you, you know, you made the shoot. So we're like crazy, dude. So we're like sitting there actually having lunch. And she like, we sit next to each other and we were like talking and I'm looking at my phone and a a picture of my daughter pops up and she's like standing in my hand and I'm just holding my hand out, you know, like this. My daughter's holding my, you know, standing in my hand and balancing. And Donatella looks over at my phone and she goes, oh my God, you know that she can do that. I'm like, yeah, it's something we do. You know, we've done it since she was, you know, a baby. Uh huh. And she goes, how old is she? And I go, uh, four. She's like, wow, she looks six. She's like very mature face, you know, like great mm. cheekbones. She's like, how would you like to be the face? How would she, how would you like her to be the face of Versace kids? Wow, dude. He's like, she's like, I could see you two doing a photo shoot together. And I'm like, well, I'm leaving for a TV show, you know, when, I get back from this. Was this the top trainer show? Yeah. So then I, yeah. So this is in 2016 that this is all happening. Wow, dude. So I, I am like, Hey, when I get, you know, when I leave here, I'm literally like leaving for California for probably like two to three months to film this TV show. Uh-huh. She's like, well, when you get back, let's film the, let's shoot the campaign. So I got back, shot the campaign. You, you know, did that. I filmed the TV show, shot the campaign when I got back with Versace and uh yeah i mean it was it was it was amazing i mean one of a kind that's so surreal dude opportunity to take my daughter to new york and be set up in a hotel by versace have our flights taken care of and go and model with my daughter for you know a 5 6 hour work day and it was kind of funny what they, a trip dude yeah yeah they they were like hey they're like technically we would break like child labor laws if we work over three hours and we need to get more than three hours worth of photos so we can't actually pay your daughter to be the model we're just gonna pay you double mm. and I'm like cool yeah I'm like so I'll give her ten bucks and I'll keep the six thousand I'm like this is great <laughs> she has a nice savings account it was yeah, it was it was great putting good. that in there for her you know Love that, dude. yeah I'm like hey I'm like she's got a little savings account she's got this awesome memorabilia Dude, yeah. what a trip, dude. Yeah, it was it was super wild. That's so wild. That's yeah, just man. like one of those surreal life is a movie moments. Yeah, I mean that. It's like where you've come from and all the shit, you know, like then you're at this uh, as top as as top of the tippy top as it could possibly be fashion shoot talking to. A woman who's, you know, considered an f- icon of fashion. Yeah. You know, I mean, doing a photo shoot with your daughter. It's crazy. 
It was wild. Yeah, it was wild. Totally crazy. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've I've kind of had so many movie moments. People tell me they're like, "Dude, you should you should write a book." I'm, dude, I'm. That's why I you started know, it you, off. I'm you like, should, "Are you, you writing write this a book?" Yet? And I'm like, "This book would sound like the greatest lies ever told." Right, like in the sense of like, have you seen the movie Big Fish? Uh huh. Yeah. That's kind of like how my life is. Uh huh. Right, it's all these kind of crazy scenarios, like the time that I met Paulie Shore on the beach. Yeah. Interviewing him yeah. for Men's Health, and then Paulie Shore wanting to be friends with me for some random reason. Yeah, well, we from- were we were hanging out at the event for Force of Nature, and I look over your texting, and I see it says Paulie Shore in your texts. I'm like, you're texting with Polly Shore? <laughs> I know. That was funny. It was so random. It's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I, I've never talked about this like on, on a single podcast, but you know, he is actually the reason why I stuck to fitness and ultimately led me to starting Strong Coffee. Oh, interesting. So him and I, we met on this beach, and I'm there for a men's health uh, event where it's like it's all, me and like five other dudes stand there with like our shirts off at the Miami beach model volleyball thing. Uh-huh. And we're just like out there doing kind of like men's health, like promotional shit. He is like shooting stuff and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're like, Adam, you got an outgoing personality. They're like, do you mind doing interviews with people? I was like, fuck yeah. Like uh-huh. point to a person. I'll start talking to him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, first one's Casey Patterson, you know, sand volleyball uh, legend, you know, mm-hmm. two Olympics, you know, he's awesome dude. Him and I become friends. Uh, and then Pauly Shore, uh, comes up and we become friends. And it's like, because I'm from Wisconsin, his family was from Wisconsin. Mm. So there was like a really interesting connection there. And I get a call from him, you know, months like weeks months later it was like yeah like a couple months later and he's like hey i'm gonna be in wisconsin uh i'd love to come and train with you mm. you know i'm like okay cool and he brings like a whole film crew Ooh. and we're like oh yeah you were telling me about and this. you know we were walking down the street and it's it's wild because i i really never watched it until i never had seen it but i ended up being in his documentary mm. And, you know, which is, you know, really like those documentaries, I mean, in a way kind of like resonated his, like brought him back in a way because it like, you could tell his story in a way. Uh And I was in that one of his documentaries and, you know, I watched it years after my dad died, but we're talking about my dad going through leukemia Mm. and battling cancer and his mom just being diagnosed Mm. with cancer. And we're talking about just like being older and like growing up and like losing, you know, the people in your life and like the people that mean so much to you. And I look at that moment, like listening to back to myself, just like the, like the consciousness I had in that situation that I was still like out there, like consoling and like conversating and relating and empathizing with somebody else going through the same thing. And giving them an outlet, you know, to train uh-huh. and to like talk. Yeah. And then like we yeah. ended up, you know, becoming better friends and he'd like fly me out to like a a thing. He's like, I'm going on a tour in Florida and I'm fucking like driving in a car with him, you yeah, know, with another that's, comedian that's so and doing funny. comedy shows. And uh-huh. yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild. It's totally wild. Though. Yeah. 
So there has been some super random just occurrences in my life that I would love to write in a book. Uh, it's a book, bro. At some point. Very. Just start jotting it down. Very you know? soon. Even if you just start putting it, put it into bullet points. You know, something, something you said earlier that I've definitely recognized in my own life. And when you find yourself in a place, a moment in your life where you're recognizing how you've got one idea or a vision, like you were talking about the 12-year-old version of you saying, I'm going to do this with my life. I'm going to be this person. I'm going to do this. And then you have that moment of clarity. could be totally random. Nothing even, nothing mind-blowing happens. It could be a totally mundane moment walking down the street or watching a TV show where all of a sudden you're struck with your reality and you recognize how you're doing the same thing day in, day out, and you see all the way down the rabbit hole where it's going and where that will lead. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're like, if I keep living my life the way I'm living it right here, right now, I'm never going to do that thing because yeah. it's just not how it happens. And I need to radically, you have that shift. It's, it's like a fucking quantum cosmic shift where you completely dis you make that decision i'm going to do something different tomorrow because this is what i want to be doing with my life you know and being willing to fucking burn the boats say okay i'm taking a complete leap of faith i'm jumping into the unknown i have no idea what's over there but fuck it because this thing is not what i want to be doing anymore because i know where this is going to go and I've got to just make a different choice today and do something different if I want my life to be like this. Totally. I mean, you know? I, yeah, 100%. I mean, when I was, I mean, I, everything that I've actually done as an adult, I said I was going to do as a child. Mm. Like I even said I was going to own a supplement company. I used to make my own pre-workout drink called uh, Monkey Juice. <laughs> And I, I took, oh, you gotta, you gotta bring that back, bro. So I, what I did, juice. so I took Tang cause uh -huh. like, I didn't like any of the other bases uh -huh. of flavor that were like existing out there. They all tasted so fake to me, uh, -huh. uh back in like the late nineties. And so I took Tang and I went on, uh, you know, bulk bulk supplements like dot com uh -huh. and I just ordered creatine and citrulline malate and glutamine uh -huh. and I just threw them all into like one big container with the tang but uh -huh. like measured it out what size yeah. scooper I would need uh -huh. and I just shook it violently uh -huh. and you know every time I was going to use it take the scooper <laughs> take a scoop boom I had my pre-workout with like the sugars I wanted the yeah. flavor I wanted you know and it wasn't like cell tech bullshit pricing right. that yeah. was like what I saw uh -huh. so I just kind of started making my own shit uh -huh. and um and then i like started putting beta alanine in it you know just like i made that for years and You're it was a mad scientist <laughs> well it was yeah and i mean i you know that kind of goes into like as a trainer i got really vocal about the bullshit that exists in training mm. right and that was like me stage writing or uh -huh. me stage lefting what does it mean when you leave stage left 
Exit stage, stage, stage left. Right. Stay, yeah, so I'm stage left, and uh-huh. while I'm out, I'm just like throwing fucking peace signs and fuck yeah. yous. You know, because the fitness industry has become so bastardized mm. through the social media right. influencer fitness bullshit that yeah. the same dogma even slides by within the gyms themselves mm. where it's like I'm a technician, like you said. Like, I am so ridiculously detail oriented yeah. with somebody on how they're moving yeah. that I cannot stand by and allow somebody to move subpar to that expectation. Uh-huh. That was not what I was seeing anymore mm-hmm. in gyms, mm-hmm. high level people that are highly, you know, credentialed, mm. meaning tons of followers, Yeah, right? Wrote a book, you know, like whatever the fuck they did, uh-huh. you know, to become popular. Yeah, I see the application. I'm like, this is dog shit. Mm. And I didn't feel like fixing it uh-huh. because I felt like the amount of work to try to fix that was just like, it wasn't worth it to me anymore. Mm-hmm. But what I did see was how I could help the same amount of people by creating something that doesn't require as much effort, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and giving them something that is actually healthy, that is really just like a super easy decision and prep yeah. to make. Yeah. And that was like where I was like, okay, this is where I'll put my effort. I was like, instead of trying to save the fitness world uh-huh. from damnation, yeah, I'm like, I want to jump in the supplement world because there's a lot more shenanigans going on there uh-huh. and create a way better product and lean on, you know, ethical dosing, ethical sourcing instead of just marketing, Yeah, you know, marketing, marketing. Yeah. Well, I think that's the, for anyone and everyone who recognizes a flaw or an issue in their environment or their the system that they find themselves in, man. It's like we don't solve any problems by just fucking ruminating on the problems and how fucked up it is. No. When we get into solutions about just like, how do I make it better? What can I do? What can I do? Like get into the fucking the solution, man, and just do that. I had two rules at my gym that I owned for seven years. Don't sleep with the clients. Mm. And (laughs) that's an important one. So that was one. And two, don't bring me a problem. Bring me a solution. Mm, Love that. Right. Love that. So because like if you just have the problem and you haven't put any thought into the solution, then you're effectively dumping the problem onto me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like my goal is to create a solution, not to dwell on the problem itself. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's really, you know, kind of been my approach to so many things. And I mean, I kind of skated over it, but being a union electrician, right, gave me very interesting, critical skill thinking uh-huh. behind multi stages of things, like, and how uh-huh. they need to be laid out. Yeah. With time. And space and resources resources applied uh-huh. that really gave me a different type of thought process that very few people will have that have ever that have never actually gone through a true ten thousand hour education of something like that. Yeah, it makes sense. Where it's like, oh, like I may not be, you know, have a 
a piece of paper that says like I'm some highly credentialed person to become like a CEO of a company. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I built a fucking building. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know how many moving pieces that shit has? Yeah. You know, it's like I brought yeah. the power from here to there uh-huh. under budget with a certain amount of bends in the pipe, uh-huh. <laughs> with a certain amount of copper spent, with a certain amount of codes followed. Uh-huh. You know, as a union electrician, a lot of people don't realize it, but you'll have, a, there's a code book like this fat. Mm. And there's so many things that you'll be doing that you have to like reference the code. And it'll be like reference section eight, bias, blah, 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 blah. Refer to section code 312 in condition of. So you actually become like, that's actually like how lawyers, like when lawyers look at books. Mm. So you basically have to look at everything in like a short, in a small way, like a lawyer does because you have to interpret laws uh-huh. and permissions and certain things, which have totally come in handy. Oh yeah. With it's, strong coffee. Building a business. I mean, I'm like, well, right? if I can't do this, could we do it this way to do it this way, which in effect would do it that way, but it wouldn't be doing it this way technically. Uh-huh. And they're like, well, we've never actually been asked that. Let me look into that. And then they're like, yes, actually, we can do that through this process, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I learned something today, too. You know, and it's uh-huh. like a 10-year Whole Foods employee. Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Fucking, you better learn something. <laughs> Dude, I love that. And I, I know that you've done that. And I've I've hung out with you before where you're in the midst of one of those situations. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's your genius, man. It's like the culmination of everything you've ever been through in your life. It's given you this very unique, special skill set and knowledge base that allows you to be that type of fluid thinker, problem solver. You know, it's a testament to who you are, brother. You know, appreciate that. Doc. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, Can we get like a sound effect in there when we fist bump? <laughs> uh, so right now you're on a little a little tour with Strong Coffee. Yep. You and Caleb doing your thing. Yes. Um, Young Fosum. What, what, uh, what's the goal? What's the mission here? Just to have fun, spread the word or Man, you know, anything we, specific going on while you're on this trip? Oh, uh, there's a lot going on. You know, we, we've been in a quite, you know, quite an interesting situation uh, that happened with Whole Foods that, mm. you know, they, I mean, in, in many ways they've, you know, really fucked us. <laughs> How do I put this delicately? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they really fucked us. Uh-huh. And now they now they're talking about like not paying for dinner either. Oh. Uh, you know, mm. and it's an interesting thing. So, my kids get off of school in a couple of weeks and I really just wanted to get on the road and kind of free my mind of kind of the weight that I've been under for the last 11 months Mm. since this deal uh, happened. And it's like, we're still at Whole Foods, Mm. but not for long Mm. based on like the way things are happening. And it's not because our product isn't amazing. Mm. It's because we're not, you know, a massive brand that has raised tens of millions of dollars. Mm. We're a small family company and they you know, tipped our piggy bank open and took all of our fucking money Mm. when they sent us $1.2 million in purchase orders. Mm. And then eight weeks later, after we make all the product, after we confirm that they need this product, cancel all of it. It's crazy, dude. And now they're telling me, 
after we've been in there for two years, like treading water, doing whatever they ask us to do, that they're going to discontinue us if we don't spend more money on promotions. Crazy. And it's like, so you want me to spend $10,000 to put our product on sale so that you'll keep us in there? Well, yeah, I mean, because if you're not going to do that stuff and the velocity is not going to go up, it's like we're 0.5 units a week per store under what you want us to be. Mm. You know, and uh-huh. and and this is like how you're going to do us after you already fucking did us, mm. you know, mm-hmm. so it's been interesting, man. So we jumped in the car. We're talking to a lot of different people. We're hitting podcasts. We're staying fucking positive. We're flipping the script because like the reality of it is, is like I am not responsible for the situation that I'm in, but I am responsible for how I react to it. Uh huh. And I am 100% accountable to the situation that Strong Coffee is in Mm. because I will always fucking own it in the end. Mm -hmm. And because I do own it, Mm -hmm. right? And if that means that I have to get out there and literally just hand out product and fucking sample and sell at every gym in America... Like, and drive around for the next six months. You're going like, to do it. Like, I'll fucking do it. Uh-huh. Right? My kids, my wife, they'll understand. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'll do what I have to do because this is like what takes care of me and my family. Mm-hmm. Right? This is like, we take care of it. It takes care of us. And like, clearly, to move this amount of energy, I have to put that much more in it. And like, there aren't many people who've got the amount of energy I got. Uh-huh. You know? So it's like, I can't ask others to do it for me. Yeah. You know? Uh so it's like we're out here and we're we're doing podcasts, we're doing servings, getting great content, meeting up with friends that I haven't seen in a while, friends that I don't get to see as often as I'd like, uh, as like being somebody who lived out here and made like really good friends while living out here. Mm. And um and just, you know, at the same time fundraising. Uh-huh. Um I mean, we are kicking ass. Like that's the crazy thing. Is like our growth last year was crazy and our growth this year digitally is fucking awesome uh-huh. but we have enough product to last us longer than the life shelf life of that product now uh. so it's like i don't want to lose anything i'm mm-hmm. like not a give an inch motherfucker uh-huh. you know so it's yeah. like i can't give this shit an inch because this is like the downfall like if you give this the inch uh-huh you know this is where companies go bye-bye uh-huh and like that's not strong coffee Fuck, man. Fuck, fuck no. Fuck no. I'll buy it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'll keep it going, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 it, it literally is just kind of the, you know, it's getting, moving this inventory. I mean, and, you know, that's the crazy thing. Like, if people saw our testimonials, if they saw our rebuy rates, if they saw, like, how many bags of product people buy after their first purchase, it's fucking good. Uh-huh. Right? It's like, I know what it is. Yeah. It's really just having enough money to move that amount of inventory. It's a lot of inventory. Uh-huh. Street value, it's like $3 million some dollars worth. Wow, dude. 700000 in, you know, manufacturing costs. You know, we were supposed to get $1.2 million from Whole Foods for it. Wow. Right? Yeah. It's like, if I would have had one point two, a lot of product. If I would have had, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's not even counting storage fees that I'm right. paying. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So... Right now, like, I think it's just kind of, if you ever think that you're above, you know, Mm. that's where, like, 
you're not going to win. Yeah, yeah. I'm not above shit. Yeah. Like, I'm not above sleeping in a fucking van, driving across the country, serving coffee from gym to gym, right. doing podcasts with whomever. Like, you're an amazing fucking podcaster. I'm privileged to fucking be here. But I will go to the guy down the street next uh-huh. <laughs> who wants to do a podcast with me, and I will do this all over again if that means selling two more boxes of strong coffee. Uh-huh. You know, because it's really about, like, continuing this mission, which is to make people better and stronger uh-huh. through a better morning practice. And I don't think anybody else has done it like we have. No, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Anybody listening, if you haven't already tried strong coffee, it's... I can't tell you enough. And once you have it, you're fucking hooked, man. Because of what's in it. You know, it's fucking, it's fucking good. It's the real deal. Like you said, I mean, if it's not a replacement for your lifetime morning cup of coffee at bare minimum, it will definitely be your new favorite pre-workout. Yes. You know what I mean? Totally. One of the two. Like, I mean... And why not both? Yeah, I work out in the morning, so it is my favorite cup of coffee Uh and my pre-workout. Same, brother. Same. Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing better than the coffee with the L-theanine and the ashwagandha and the reishi. And then, you know, if you need that protein kick, getting your latte in, it's fucking next level, dude. Not to mention it's the best name in coffee. (laughs) Right? the best name in coffee. I and don't know means, how you got that. Honestly. And it means something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Striving to reach our natural greatness. Yeah, it's fucking... Like, cool. anybody else, like, you can name it whatever the fuck you want, but, like, that's all it is. Yeah. Right? Like, our goal is to re... You know, not just reimagine a cup of coffee, but reimagine what being strong truly is, which mm-hmm. is, like, the idea of, like, enduring more... Mm. while on this path of greatness yeah right of like finding yourself and your truest expression you know of like who you are yeah right that takes time and energy and those are the things that strong coffee i think having thousand you know, percent and amples it's fuel for that life yes 100 percent. yeah bro um well dude you're the man is there anything you want to say before we close it out Anything to just, um, man, I mean, I think I've said a lot, but I mean, I think, I think if you, I think if you could just, you know, take anything from, you know, my life, like my situations is that be open to change. Mm, Love that. And when you see an opportunity, don't be worried about being opportunistic, Mm. right? Because like this is your only crack in this body at this time in this space and these mm. people that surround you and like ultimately you know give yourself your best so you could be your best for those people that stick around love that brother boom you're the man you're the man thanks dude appreciate you dog so great to be here with you yeah me too yeah we should smoke we should smoke some weed now okay Okay. (laughs) Twist my arm. All right, y'all. Well, thank you guys. Lots of love. Please check out Strong Coffee. I'm always sharing it, promoting it. Uh, You can go. What's your code? I got to talk to Caleb about the code. Okay, we'll get it. We'll get on that. We'll get the code fixed. Ebb and flow. Ebb and flow. Yeah. Yeah, it's ebb and flow. What the fuck? Yeah, let's go. Fix it, Caleb. Young Fossum. All right, y'all. Lots of love. See y'all on the flip side.
Peace.